managers. Arguably the toughest job in football right now. You might be on a terrible form as a player, but you can transfer to other clubs and hey, I mean, they'll still take you in because you can either warm the bench or clean the reserves. Point is, there's only one spot for the gaffer. Only one. You don't do well, you're out, and then someone else comes in. And I guess we've had some interesting developments over the last few days. That Spurs, Nuno is out, Antonio Conte is in. That FC Barcelona, Coleman's out, and the icon himself, Captain Catalonia. Xavi Hernandez just got appointed like, what, 10 minutes ago? And at Newcastle United, Steve Bruce is the first casualty of the Saudi takeover. And it seems Eddie Howe would be taking the job. So, given this context, my friend, I have some series of questions to ask you and topics to discuss, but before we dive into each transition, or supposed transition, I guess, in the case of Eddie Howe's Newcastle, what are your general feelings on all the three moves, Jack? Well, well, I think for starters, you left out the key part of the introduction. We are the Soccer Khakis Podcast. I am Jack. He is Vikram. You, you know who we are by now. It's formalities. We're all good friends at this point over the internet. But it's true, it's true. I think inevitable, I think, is a word that can at least describe all three of them. It sort of felt like Nuno was teetering towards the end. When your own home fans start chanting, you don't know what you're doing at you, then yep. you, 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 you sort of know it's coming to an end. Ronald yeah. Koeman was a dead man walking basically since the summer when Jean Laporta said, I'm going to take two weeks to look for a replacement for you. If I can't find a replacement, you're going to continue on this job. That's something that actually happened, and that's something that I think a lot of people are forgetting. And Steve Bruce was largely a dead man walking when the Saudi takeover was completed. It was just a question of who they would bring in to replace him. I have some thoughts about who they replaced him with, but I also have some thoughts about how they got to that point, which I mm-hmm. think is pretty illustri- illustrative of where Newcastle are at right now. Yeah. Well, I guess if, if that's the case, right, let's dive into the first club uh, for today's session, which is Tottenham Hotspurs. Um, and I guess it's, it's not uh, new, it's not totally new news per se but Antonio Conte has finally taken uh, the reins at Spurs who would have imagined you know Conte at Spurs man what a wild world we live in <laughs> it is I mean Unai Emery uh, was supposedly first in line for the job but apparently he rejected it um, and good for him I mean end of the day other, other way around he, he was first in line at uh, Newcastle was he? yeah well, I mean, either way, and then he t- and then he turned down Newcastle. Conte was well. the first choice for Spurs, and he, and there were rumors that he was holding out for Man United, but it didn't oh. appear that Man United wanted him, so he went to Spurs. Sorry, my bad. Yep, yep, you're right. Um, it's 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 early in the morning for me. It's a, it's okay. It's easy to mix up these average mid table teams. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. No, but Antonio Conte was first. He, he, it wasn't his first game in charge. Uh, I mean, he took his first game uh, against uh, Vitesse in the Europa Conference League, right? Am I getting That's that correct. wrong? That's correct. Aha. Yeah, 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 you're correct. He played a 3-4-3 system. I know he likes to utilize, you know, the three-man defense, but I, I, I was assuming he's going to play a 3-5-2 system at Spurs. 
um, was the game against uh, let us say in the Europa Conference League a one-off where he utilizes his 3-4-3 system or is he going to revert to a 3-5-2 system should he return uh, when he returns to the Premier League this weekend well I think I think he has utilized 3-4-3 to a certain extent like when he when he was at Chelsea and he yeah. had that front three of Hazard, Diego Costa and Pedro that was definitely a three. but it had yeah. some you know flexibility to it because Hazard was basically allowed to do whatever the heck he wanted because he was at Hazard so yeah. <laughs> that could be a 3-5-2 when Hazard wanted to come inside it could be a 3-4-3 when Hazard wanted to spread it out a little bit more and to a certain extent the Spurs team sort of works the same way because it can be a 3-4-3 when Harry Kane is up top as a sole striker but it can be a 3-5-2 when Kane drops into space and Sun comes in on the inside and sort of yeah. becomes a foe striker so I think yeah. there's definitely some flexibility at least in how the front three works but the rest of the team the four the seven let's see if I can do math correctly seven yes yeah, seven players that are behind that front three we're all very much of the Antonio Conte three at the back two wing backs two players in midfield sort of structure that he's used as the vast majority of his managerial career yeah I know I mean I guess one of the main questions I have um, going into this well first and foremost I think we all know Conte's style. I mean, he he tries to play attacking football. I mean, in 2017, he said, uh, I try to give, first of all, a good balance in my team. Um, don't reduce offensively, but defend situations correctly. So you can expect some attacking football at, with Spurs this season. The only problem I have is that uh, I think people forget that this Spurs is going through a rebuild. And that's not just because Harry Kane was supposedly leaving, you know, uh, this summer. I think people forget that, you know, many regulars over the years have been lost this season and I guess um, the season before. Eric Lamella, Musa Sissoko, Serge Aurea, Toby Alderweireld. Uh, Jen Dongan is no longer here as well. I mean, it was gone last season, but that Belgian connection at the heart of defense is no longer there. Um, you don't have Carlos Vinicius this season as well. It's, I'm mean, not saying that Carlos Vinicius is <laughs> record, but. I mean, my point is, you know, who else do they, they have in front? Vinicius. <laughs> who else do they have in front? Um, what, Steve Bergwijn? Steve Bergwijn? I mean, fair, he's fair kind line, of a yeah. winger. Yeah. And given this sort of context, right, how is Conte, no pun intended, going to, um, you know, sort of revive Spurs? Especially since you still have a good two months before the January uh, transfer window happens well I think Conte wouldn't have taken this job if he wasn't assured that he would have some say into what Spurs were doing and if he wasn't assured that there wouldn't that there would be money for him to spend whether it be from selling Harry Kane or otherwise and I think the fact that he has such a close relationship with Fabio Paratici who Spurs is technical director who he worked with for several years at Juventus probably means that they one, get along with each other, two, see see football and the philosophy of what the Spurs team should be and what the Spurs team could be in a similar way. And three, they probably have a very similar idea of the players they want to go for. Many of them probably play in Serie A. But I think how he's going to manage, I mean, Spurs are still a pretty decent team admittedly they're significantly worse if you take Harry Kane out of it 
But I mean, but... that's another question that I sort of have, right? Like, what's happened to Harry Kane? He sort of uh, shadowed himself. Oh yeah, it's because he doesn't want to be there anymore. I mean, true, but at the same time, he's not doing any justice. To I think you can maybe transfer fee. Well, number one and number two. Uh, oh yeah, that's not his who's problem. Who's gonna want though? him? <laughs> that's not his problem. <laughs> <laughs> who's gonna want him, man? No one's gonna want him. I mean, no one's I mean, gonna yeah, want him. That, that, that is a very that is a very good point. Uh, well, there's one club that's gonna want him: Newcastle United. But <laughs> if if he drops the whole stays in England thing, there's definitely a market for him because PSG exists. But I still think he's going to leave, at least as of right now. But there is at least a chance of Antonio Conte coming and convincing him to stay. Whether that be what Antonio Conte wants is a completely different question. But I think you can still criticize Daniel Levy for not taking the money from Man City yeah, true. and not giving that war chest to Paratici and to uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, basically handicapping Nuno's managerial tenure before it even began, just so he could fluff his ego with the puff pieces about big old Tottenham Hotspur turning down the money from Manchester City but I have very little if any doubts about Spurs' attack being good enough for Antonio Conte it's the rest of the team that I have a little bit of concern about like what the defense well yes (laughs) but but I mean I think the attack certainly Mm -hmm. fits a Conte team the wing backs are going to be really good I think Regulon and Emerson or Doherty, if they want to try Doherty again, fit what Antonio Conte wants in a wingback system. And his wingbacks are so, so, so important. Yeah. He can stick anyone out there and make him a halfway decent wingback. He played Victor Moses, for God's sake, at Inter. Oh, that's a very good point, actually. But... He did play Victor Moses and Ashley Young. Mm-hmm. And Ivan Perisic last season. Oh, yeah. I mean, but... like, he... I mean, hopefully, Emerson Royale... I mean, the thing about Emerson Royale is sort of like trying to lengthen the Arnold in the sense that he doesn't really track back, does he now? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> he's <laughs> no, but, he's I mean, not I, I, I the greatest defensive fullback. Yeah, true, true. I'm, I but do... you can get away with that when you're playing a back three. Atra Fikimi isn't the greatest defensive fullback. Even Paris is not a fullback. Yeah. <laughs> they got away with it. They did, and they, I mean, I guess they won the title at all. They ran away with it. Yeah. You know, I guess, in, in that sense, right, I guess the question then becomes, who do they play in central midfield, and that who's going to be that defense? That, those are the two key questions. So, against Vitesse, the midfield was Pierre Mahoy, oh, Oliver Skip, and Oliver Skip. right? Which is a very hard-working midfield, but it's not a very technical midfield, and it's not a very progressive midfield. And I think yeah. that was largely the issue when Nuno was there, when he's also stuck with Hoiberg and um, Oliver Skip, especially with Oliver Skip, who I think has been a little bit of a disappointment. Granted, he's still mm-hmm. young, he can still develop, he's still got potential, but he's a player who needs to be more courageous and more progressive in his passing. And a pair, that pairing is definitely a far cry from Marcel Brozovic and Nico Barella. It's a far cry from the combination of incredible central midfielders he had at Juventus. I don't even say it's a far cry compared to Conte and Emani Matic that he had at Chelsea. Mm. So then that begs the question of how does Enmobelli fit into this team? He's a very technical player, but does he have the work rate that Antonio Conte wants? Uh, does Deli Ali have the work rate to play as a central midfielder under Conte? Uh, 
does Giovanni Lo actually still fit in this team in any way? Does Harry Winks have any space in this team? The man who's been perennially linked to Everton for at least the last year and a half. Too much to your uh, dismay, but... <laughs> yeah, much to my significant dismay. <laughs> but I think... I think they have some eyes on the transfer market, especially in the summer, to upgrade this midfield. But in the short term, they have a lot of pieces. It's just not certain if they're the right pieces. And it's the same thing in defense as well. Interesting. I guess... Well, I mean, to sort of transition and talk about the defense, um, Tristan Romero, he's been all right, but would he flourish under Conte? And I guess who's going to be his centre-back partners in that sense? Eric Dyer? I would, hope so. I would hope so, since Christian, since Christian Romero is the most talented defender in this team. <laughs> yeah, he is. I mean, I think I mean, he should I've, be a linchpin in the defence. Like, talking to some of my friends who are Premier League fans, some, a lot of them aren't completely sold on Christian Romero. And Romero was the best centre-back in Serie A last season. Like, that's undisputed fact. He won an award saying that he was the best centre-back in Serie A last season. <laughs> so, the talent's <laughs> most definitely there. I just don't think it necessarily was manifested well under Nuno. And I think yeah. he does have the capability to fit in the back three because he played in the back three at Atalanta. It just, no, that's a good point, yeah. I just don't know who plays next to him. <laughs> I mean, well, Eric I mean, Dyer guy, uh... one of them because I have no idea how Eric Dyer is still on this team. And the other was Ben Davies, which is really interesting that Ben Davies could become a Aspilicueta okay. sort of figure. But is he Aspilicueta? <laughs> Because like Conte was the one who turned Aspilicueta yeah. into that centre-back player. Um, can Shafa Tanganga fill that role? Um, can they bring Davison Sanchez in from the cold? I mean, it's a lot of pieces, but you just don't really know how they fit together outside of, at least in the short term, Romero and Dyer, who are probably two of the three in that back three. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess... Uh... It'll be an interesting test for sure because uh, guess who they're going to face up, face against uh, in their first in Conte's first Premier League match uh, as yeah they're playing Everton. Well, I hope you guys uh, do well they're, against. They're going to win four 0 Nah, bro. We we nah, always nah. historically don't do well against Tottenham, but with a new manager coming off of Harry Kane on a cold spell. If there's, you know, I don't encourage gambling, but if there's a gambling line of Harry Kane scoring two or more goals against Everton this weekend, I would definitely take that. So, you know, it's, uh, it's not going to happen because we know how both of us, I mean, we do make some good predictions, but most of the time, uh, <laughs> when it comes to score lines, no. Nope. Hey, I could be making legitimate prediction. I could be trying to speak evil into the world so Everton beat Tottenham in the weekend. You're never going to know. <laughs> so, you right. just have to take my words the way that I say them. Uh, okay, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Tottenham that we have missed out? I think it's worth highlighting a funny tweet that at least has some sort of point to it. I can't remember who said it, but someone said that um, if there's any manager that can fix Tottenham, it's Antonio Conte. But if there's any club that can break Antonio Conte, it's Tottenham. Tottenham. So... <laughs> I, it's funny, but I think it also has some truth in it that Conte's a serial winner. He's won everywhere that he's gone. But his fail... Well, not necessarily his failings, but the reasons why he's left or the reasons why he's not stuck around for so long is because of club instability and because of uh, clashes with hierarchy. So I think yes. his relationship with Daniel Levy is going to be crucial, and it has to be better than the relationship that he had with Suning at Inter. And 
for Spurs' sake, I would hope that Paratici's presence is going to be something that balances out Conte, the likely clash of egos between Conte and Daniel Levy. Cool. And, yeah, you know, let's let's wait and see. I guess uh, the match against Everton would be a very good litmus test as to how uh, he's going to set up in the Premier League. Because, I mean, all... No disrespect whatsoever. The Europa Conference League is the Europa Conference League. It's not the competition anyone wants to win per se. And, you know, for all you know, it's just... The 3 4 system he's playing there is just a test to see how they would fare. They might be a 3 I mean, we, dis- we disrespect or... it, but Spurs were about to not go through in that group. <laughs> Spurs were in a danger zone. I think <laughs> well, hey, just, one right. fi- just one final, final point. The way that I talked about Conte and Paratici working together in transfers, I think there are three specific players that I think they'd definitely be looking at, not necessarily in January, but in the summer because their contracts are up in the summer. Mm. And I think they would both help to address that midfield and that defensive sort of question mark. One of them is Franck Kessier in Milan. One of them is Marcel Brozovic, a man who Antonio Conte knows very, very well from Inter. It was the yep. linchpin, one of the linchpins in the inter midfield helped to win the title. And the other is Alessio Romagnoli from Milan. So I think all three of them are out of contract in the summer. It looks like Franck Cassier is going to leave, even though Milan are really trying to push to keep him. But I think all three of them are players that Spurs are going to look at. I don't know if they're going to be all that active in January, because I don't know if anyone's going to be all that active in January. Mm. But in the summer, I think those are three guys that Inter are going to try and bring in at least some combination of those three. Well, only time will tell. And only time will tell if, you know, Daniel Levy actually wants to provide Conte with the funds or if it's all the rules to bring Conte in. Or if Daniel Levy is just the world's biggest case of small man syndrome. (laughs) Fall, you know, man. Fall, you know. All right. Moving on to our next club, uh, arguably the biggest club of all three clubs that we're discussing today, and that's FC Barcelona. Who had I thought you were about to say Newcastle. No, no, no. What the hell? Our Saudi overlords. <laughs> but Fabi Fabi Hernandez has returned to the fold, not as a player. Uh, but as a manager, as a manager of FC Barcelona, he was appointed like what some thirty minutes ago, um, as we're recording this. But you know, it's it's not a big surprise given that you know he was he's been linked to the job for quite some time now, and after you know some years with Al Sadd, I don't know, Jack. I guess the main question I want to ask you is: Is he ready for the job? Well, he has no choice but to be ready. <laughs> I mean, this was basically the worst-kept secret in the world, that Xavi is eventually going to become Barcelona manager. It's just a question of when. And then Xavi is going to be the guy to replace Ronald Koeman. It's just what's going to happen and how are the mechanisms going to be activated to remove Ronald Koeman from the job and to remove Xavi from his contract at Al-Sad. And the fact that Barcelona are doing this with basically no money is pretty funny. But I think... I've seen a lot of people throwing around comparisons between him and like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Mikel Arteta, Frank Lampard, people like that. And I think at least an interesting and important difference between Xavi and those players is that Xavi actually has managerial experience. Granted, this is in Qatar, for Al Saad, for you can question the 
level at which he has managerial experience at. But hey, managerial experience is managerial, managerial experience. And that experience is very, very important regardless of where it is. Because it's all well and good to think about the game importantly, to have, you know, this mindset of how you want these tactics to run. But it's another thing completely to manage a dressing room, to manage a game, and to understand how the tactics, the players' mindsets work and change when things are going your way, and most importantly, when things aren't going your way. I mean, and I, I guess think it's that's largely similar to the league and a full show, isn't it? Because, I mean, I'm not trying to compare both in terms of their managerial experiences, but he, he did have managerial experience going into uh, United's job as a caretaker manager at first. I mean, he was a manager at Molde. He went to Cardiff. He came back to Molde. You know, or Molde, I suppose. Um, the, the thing is, right, it's... The golf is big. And I don't think we can deny that the golf is big. If we are talking about two different levels here. I mean, yes, Savi knows the pressures of being a Barcelona player. That's definitely pressurizing week in week out you need to perform but as a manager that's a totally different ball game you know you can only control so much especially with the players at this disposal right now they're great they're good but are they the best in La Liga? No certainly not I think yeah. under understanding the expectations I think is a really good point that you bring up that he's not suddenly going to turn Barcelona into title contenders overnight I mean he might. I'm not ruling that possibility out. But <laughs> Barcelona don't... Well, okay, let me let me carefully word how I want to say this. Barcelona okay. do not realistically think they can win the league title this season. Probably. Probably. <laughs> their intention is to get out of their Champions League group and qualify for the Champions League next season. Because if those two things don't happen, that is financially cataclysmic. And there's no guarantee that they get out of the Champions League group right now. I think they need to beat Benfica, and they need to hope that um, results elsewhere go their way. And hope that maybe Bayern throw out their C team in that final game of the group stage, and they could sneak a draw or something. And if they don't move on from the Champions League group, even if they play in the Europe League, you're still losing a significant amount of uh, television revenue from playing knockout stage games. And if they don't qualify for the Champions League next season, that is horrific. Yeah. This team isn't title-worthy. This team isn't, on paper or in actuality, one of the best two, easily one of the best two teams in La Liga. But they're definitely good enough to finish fourth. And I think that is what they want in the short term that they just hope Javi brings that new manager balance that he brings a little bit more positivity than Raul Koeman had they brings a little bit more understanding of how these players fit together yeah than Raul Koeman had sorry I burped to the point where <laughs> they can to the point where he can have them finish fourth and then they just go from there and I think yeah, no, I... at least to go back to your managerial experience point it is sort of you are right in that it is sort of a mixed bag because you can have managerial experience, questionable amounts of managerial experience and do well or questionable amount of managerial experience and do poorly. But sort of the flip side of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer question is Pep Guardiola only managed Barca B before he became Barcelona manager and won everything there is to win. Zidane managed Real Madrid Castilla before he became Real Madrid manager and won everything that there is to win. And that's definitely not the level of La Liga. It's still professional football, but it's not the level of La Liga. And they and they came in and they succeeded in those positions. I mean, so, I guess, I mean, 
to sort of address that point really quickly now, um, yes and no, I suppose, because yes, it's not top level or league experience to say, but at the same time, it's a certain philosophy that's already existent in the club. You know, you're working not only with players who you can ideally promote to, uh, you know, the first team per se, should you take the reins, but irregardless, I think it's, it's, uh, I guess you're more conditioned to be managing in that role, given that the hierarchy is more or less the same. You know, you have, you're used to it, more or less. You know, you're used to that Barcelona system. You're used to that Real Madrid system. And I don't know whether Sabi is used to it, per se, because all his life as a manager has only been at El Sad. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mm. I think maybe they're banking on the fact that he is from the Barcelona system, that he understands Barcelona, he understands what is expected of him, that he already has a relationship with John Laporta, even though he was... Not necessarily the managerial choice of John Laporte. He was the managerial choice of the guy who John Laporte ran against. But they're sort of just hoping that that Barcelona DNA that's already inside him. They're they're hoping to bank on the whole La Masia thing and the Barcelona DNA that's already inside him. The fact that he knows several of the players he's going to be working with. That's true. Sort of a weird generational coming together with Barcelona is going to lead to him having some form of success. It is most definitely a risk, though. The fact that you're plucking this guy from the cold in, in Qatar and you're dropping him into it's quite an probably the hottest seat in the sport at the moment, given what Barcelona is going through. That's, that's such an ironic statement, given that <laughs> from the cold in Qatar, yeah, from the cold the moment, it's in winter Qatar. in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no I get where you're coming from I really do um, is there anything that we've sort of uh, haven't covered for Barcelona before we go into arguably the most interesting topic of the week um, I think his coaching of Ansu Fati is going to be very interesting given that Xavi mm-hmm. was in Ansu Fati's boots not that long ago of being the guy that comes from La Masia, who's viewed as, you know, you are the guy. Well, he wasn't necessarily viewed as the guy because Lionel Messi existed, but True. having the pressure of coming from La Masia and having the expectation from the, from the supporters that you're going to be the young dynamo that people are going to look to, I think that's going to be a significant boost for Barcelona. I think he has the potential to be a better man manager than Ron Koeman was. And I think that's going to be very beneficial for their young players. Maybe he'll actually play Ronald Araujo instead of playing Eric Garcia because Ronald Araujo is their best center back. But mm. I have no idea what Ronald Koeman was thinking. <laughs> but <laughs> I definitely think you could tell when they played Dinamo, Dinamo Kiev, that a lot of people were just looking at Ansu Fati like, yeah, this is on you now, kid. <laughs> and... That's a, that's a tough position to be in for anyone, let alone a kid who's, what, 18, 19? Yeah. So I, I would hope that Xavi, as a man manager and as a person who's very familiar with coming through at Barcelona, is going to have a positive impact on him. Not only him, but Pedri, Gavi, Araujo, uh, Nigeta, and a lot of the other younger players that are in this team because they're going to have to be the short-term solution for this club due to their financial situation. True. And I guess, you know, um, later today, Barcelona are going to take on Celta Vigo. Later today for me, tomorrow for you, I suppose. But um, Celta Vigo are no uh, walk in the park, that's for sure. So, a real test for 
Mr. Xavi Hernandez. So, Though I guess the question of does Xavi actually man the bench for that game, considering he hasn't had a training session with the team, or whether it's still the interim guy. Who's the interim? I, I guess we'll see. Maybe it's just going to be Xavi's going to be in the stadium, he's going to be unveiled, and the interim manager is still going to manage this game. And then he's going to be. Who's their next game? Who's their game after Celta? Oh, Sergi Barquan. Yeah, Sergi Barquan. I believe he might still be the guy for Celta. And conveniently uh, enough, they're ne- and then oh, they will give him the international break. This is Barca's last game before the international break, so that would be very convenient. I imagine that it's the interim guy for Celta tomorrow. Then he gets the international break, and then he comes back with um, a run of fairly important games, starting with the Catalonian derby against Espanyol. Yeah. Oh, I guess uh, what a, that's just, uh, it makes more sense for him to start against Espanyol, I suppose. I mean, I think it'll be a bit of a shit show, don't mind me saying, um, if he were to start today. <laughs> yeah, but it's Barcelona, so it's all relative. True, 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 true. The, true, the, true, the, the true. madness is relative. True, true, true. Okay, moving on to our last club for today. <laughs> Um, arguably the biggest club in terms of uh, financial muscle. Um, can't believe I'm saying this in 2021, but Newcastle United. <laughs> Newcastle wow. United are the most interesting story in 2021. We can't believe that we're here either. Yeah, but uh, it's insane, man. I mean, Steve Bruce was the first casualty. Um, yep, and apologies for the earlier error, but Unai Emery was supposed to take the job. He rejected it, and good for him because he has something good going on for him at Villarreal. Stay there, do something. <laughs> But then, the next candidate apparently in line for the job is Mr. Eddie Howe. And the thing is, right, I know you've always had major issues with Eddie Howe, and I'm going to ask you why in a bit. Um, but I think at least for... If I were the Saudi owners right now, I would think to myself, who is the best manager to sort of survive and bring me out of uh, potential relegation till, I guess, January? And then let's invest smartly in the in the January transfer window because the last thing we want to do is buy random players and uh, bring them in just like what QPR did many 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 years ago <laughs> I almost forgot about that QPR takeover until this Newcastle takeover happened because it no, was the no, year that um, it was the that, year that City won it on the final day and QPR stayed up on the final day Exactly. I, I remember that Tony Fernandez took over the club. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know Tony Fernandez, but he he's a Malaysian business tycoon and being half Malaysian, sort of, I guess. Um, yes, <laughs> very well aware of the sort of consequences of that. I remember Air Asia being their sponsor. And I'm like, oh god, what's happening? Why is happening? Uh, either way, right? I guess one thing that I sort of want to ask. Well. We, we all know Eddie Howe likes to be a, play an attacking form of football. You know, it's sort of attractive football, per se. It's just that in his last season, something sort of... I mean, three factors um, sort of hindered him from helping Bournemouth stay up. Number one, he changed his style of play. Number two, there was a significant lack of goals. And number three, there were recurring injuries. Three things that he sort of has to manage at Newcastle United. And he has to manage a Newcastle United who has a squad... That is practically a championship level team. I don't think we can deny that, right? 
it's it, it's definitely I want to sit my friends. <laughs> Maybe Callum Wilson. Well, right, let's we'll... be fair. Yeah, Alan Maxman, Callum Wilson, and friends. I guess that's another interesting dynamic that we can sort of touch on in a bit. But you know, Callum Wilson and Eddie Howe reunited, and Matt Ritchie, and, and Ryan Fraser, who apparently doesn't like him. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. But I guess before we we get on to the specifics, right? Jack, I know you haven't been the biggest fan of uh, Eddie. So, what is your gripe with Howe? What is my gripe with Eddie Howe? All right, right. There, there are definitely two angles to talk about this Newcastle story. It's the Unai Emery angle and the Eddie Howe angle. So, yeah. just to, not to take away the legitimacy of your question, because I definitely am going to go back to it. Where do you want me to start? Ooh, um, let's do the Unai Emery angle, I suppose. So, it's not necessarily who they chose that had me concerned. It's how they went about the Unai Emery thing. Because there was basically nothing on the Unai Emery front. And then something got leaked to, I want to say it was the London Times, where they said, you know, Unai Emery is their top choice. And they said, he's going to be announced later this week. And the important caveat was that it was leaked the day of Villarreal's Champions League game against Young Boys which was a game they had to win if they wanted to move on to the round of 16. And what? I think they're, they significantly angered Villarreal by doing that. And they potentially significantly angered... Oh, he's disconnected. Okay, he only disconnected for a second here. Yeah, I think they very much angered Villarreal by doing that. and They allegedly angered Eddie, um, Unai Emery by doing that as well. And it was Villarreal's press response that said, you know, Unai Emery has a buyout in his contract. I think it's like 6 million euros. If you want him, pay it and then negotiate with him. And Emery sort of danced around the question, but still said, you know, it's up to the club. If the club comes to an agreement with Newcastle, and they, then I'm willing to, you know, negotiate with, with uh, Newcastle. I haven't closed the door to them, but I haven't opened it. Yeah. He, he was very sort of iffy about it. But at the end of the day he turned them down because I don't think he necessarily had the desire to push Villarreal to leave which good for him but I also think at least the rumor said that he was very anchored by how Newcastle went about this by them leaking this speculation to put the pressure on Villarreal and to put the pressure on him and it reeks of a club that doesn't necessarily know what they're doing like Newcastle looked really bad in this and there's also a second rumor that's sort of related that Emery did actually have negotiations with them, but turned them down because Newcastle insisted on putting a clause in his contract that allowed them to terminate it if they went down. Oh, wow. Which maybe you can speculate that that clause is in Eddie Howe's contract, which I think would be at least reasonable to speculate if that rumor about it being in Emery's contract is true. No, for but, sure. I mean... But I guess, you know, like, I don't know, man. It's, uh, we've, we all know how shady the Saudis can be, right? Um, I'm saying this and I hope I don't get, like, you know, sued or something. But my point is, right? <laughs> my point uh, I is, think there's plenty of evidence that would back up your, your um, assertion there. Yeah, I know, but I, if I was Eddie Howe right now, is this the job that I would take? Because I don't know personally if Eddie Howe is sign on an interim basis if you know what I mean is he warming the seat for someone like Zidane is he warming the seat for someone like 
Ancelotti in the future because that's what I mean let's be real here Eddie Howe is not going if Newcastle wants to be a mega club you know like a big time player in Europe is Eddie Howe the man to lead them he's a very well, promising some people manager. in England think so I mean he's a very promising manager I'm not if his hide. name wasn't Eddie Howe they wouldn't think that but some people in England think so <laughs> alright okay I, mean, I think I guess the biggest yeah the biggest concern about how they handled the Henry thing was the fact that it, it seemed like they didn't really know what they were doing. And the fact that they haven't hired a sporting director yet is rather concerning to me. When I wrote the, the whole checklist article about this, I said the first thing that they need to do is hire a sporting director. Which they have it not. Seemed, there were rumors about them wanting Mark Overmars from Ajax, but it appears that went nowhere. And there haven't been any more solid links to you know, Ralph Ranić to Luis Campos, to anyone. And... It does seem like Eddie Howe is largely being brought in to stabilize the team, to not get them relegated, to sort of get them at least comfortably back as a Premier League team, and then they're going to go to someone else, which would Eddie Howe want to do this? I mean, probably. I mean, he's been unemployed for how many years now? Two, I suspect. At least two or three since Bournemouth went down. I mean, I think it, it's it's at least a job that'll get him back into conversations. Even if he isn't the guy that Newcastle want moving forward, it at least gets him back into the spotlight. Maybe he finds a good long-term job on the back of what he does in Newcastle. Maybe he succeeds at Newcastle and he stays there for several years and he's able to get them competing for European places. But I think it's at least worth the risk because obviously if he fails at Newcastle it's I I don't want to say it's game over but it might be game over yeah but I mean he doesn't necessarily really have a choice yeah no and I guess so here's my issue with this whole move no but before that I want to know what's a big grab that he so uh I think for what Newcastle want him to do, which is keep them in the Premier League and to stabilize the club, I think he's a fine choice. Yeah. But I think for being a young manager and for being a manager that a lot of people put a lot of hype in to the point where he was deemed the guy to succeed Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, I don't just think he's all that good. I mean, he wants his teams to play very attacking. He gets a lot out of players like Callum Wilson, like Ryan Fraser, like... I was about to say Jordan Ibe, but he didn't necessarily get a lot of Jordan Ibe. But <laughs> he got a club as small as Bournemouth into the Premier League, and he kept him in the Premier League for several years, which is an achievement in itself, because Bournemouth, at least compared to the rest of the Premier League, are operating on a shoestring budget. Yeah. But he's very one-track-minded as a manager. He wants to attack to the point that it can be very detrimental. And I think part of his failing at Bournemouth was his lack of desire to pack in and get those hard-fought points against better teams. It, It always came up against Liverpool when Liverpool ripped them to shreds because Eddie Howe insisted on trying to play with them when he didn't have the players to play with him. And all the Liverpool fans are saying, oh, you know, good for Eddie Howe for not parking the bus and yada, 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 yada. But it's it's to the point where he's not necessarily putting his team in position to succeed. And 
he has some decent attacking players at Newcastle. Alan Tomaxman is probably going to do very well under him. Callum Wilson is once again going to do very well under him. They have the potential to bring some people in in January, maybe a Jesse Lingard. But that's a very frail team defensively. As already a very frail team defensively. It's not like he has a Nathan Ake that's back there who's able to absorb the damage. It's not like he's going to have... I was about to say Dean Henderson. Get, get <laughs> um, he, it's not he like he's going to have Aaron Ramsdale back there who's going to save. I mean, yeah, he doesn't have Aaron Ramsdale. He doesn't have some of those players that he did at Bournemouth to save. But who is he going to get in January, man? I mean, anyone... Who would go to Newcastle at this point, to be honest? If anything, they'd go next summer, right? Yeah, I think most of Newcastle spending is going to come in the summer. I think... I can't remember who said it. I want to say it was the Telegraph. who said they're working with a maximum of £50 million in January, which is fairly reasonable. You don't want to overspend immediately in January and have a bunch of players that you have to have bet in immediately into a new team in a relegation fight when you're in just an incredibly, incredibly important moment and spend a whole lot of money on players who may not be all that good because there tend to not be a lot of really good moves in January. But there is, you know, the potential of players like Jesse Lingard, James James Tarkowski, players who are on expiring contracts who look like they're not going to sign a new contract at their new club to where you can say, hey, here's 10 million Bournemouth, or uh, excuse me, Burnley, (laughs) give us uh, James Tarkowski, and that's immediately going to make them better. But, I mean, this team does need a lot. This team isn't good. No, it isn't. (laughs) They're really not good. It's a, I mean, I, one, one, one of the last few questions I wanted to ask you is, do you think someone like Joe Linton would benefit from someone like Eddie coming into the fold? Or... I mean, maybe. I think, the thing with Joe, with, I think the thing with Joe Linton is, well, one, I don't necessarily think he was as talented as Newcastle thought he was when they signed him. But also for strikers, it's, it's really mental. It's there's a lot of mental stuff around their performance. I think we're seeing it with Timo Werner right now at Chelsea, where if Eddie Howe can, you know, get an arm around him and sort of get his mindset back to his more positive thinking, maybe try and sort of nudge out the player that people thought Joe Ellington could be, and maybe he could get him scoring again. I yeah. mean, I say that, but, you know, Jordan Ibe didn't necessarily perform for Bournemouth. <laughs> Uh, there were, you know, some players that Bournemouth spent some money on, especially in the tail end of uh, Eddie Howe's tenure there, that didn't necessarily perform. So, you would at least hope that Eddie Howe is able to be a better man manager than Steve Bruce allegedly was. Not allegedly, but you 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 need him to squeeze as much as he can out of this team because mm-hmm. even in January, you're not really sure how much they're gonna get. Yeah, no, I think that's a very, very fair point. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add on Eddie and Newcastle? Well, if he is, if that you know whole relegation contract doesn't exist in Eddie Howe's contract, I think he's a pretty good choice to get them back up if they go down. Mm-hmm. And I would think, unless the Newcastle owners were just completely clueless and absolutely just oblivious to... Ha- the real the reality of what they've inherited 
they would have a contingency plan for if Newcastle go down of how they're going to get them back into the Premier League. Because they're, it's not like this club is going to be suffering from the financial difficulties the most championship clubs suffer from. So they're probably going to have the budget to just throw money at a team to get them promoted to the Premier League, much like Wolves did. They're just going to have a significantly higher payroll than the rest of the league and waltz their way to the championship title. Yeah, but... Yeah, true, true. I guess interesting times. Interesting times indeed for all three clubs. And to sort of conclude... Each team will be playing, you know, a match over this weekend. It might be too early for Savi to sort of step in charge, but perhaps his appointment or news of his appointment will sort of, you know, reinvigorate the entire squad and, you know, miraculously help them to better performances. Who am I kidding? It's going to take some time at Barcelona before everything sort of uh, stabilised. I it's guess when it comes to it's definitely good and interesting that all three of these are coming on the brink of an international break. True, very true. That's another thing, I guess. You know, like end of the day, they they managers have some time before they, uh, or rather, for them to sort of implement their ideas, philosophies into their new teams. Um, they have a chance Eddie to hit the reset button. True, I is Eddie appointed at Newcastle yet? No, right? Eddie's no, not it's not yet, official, right? but it's yeah, it's. It's assumed that it's going to happen either this weekend or next week. So it's probably going to happen. Probably. Probably. Unless Eddie Howe turns from employment, which I doubt he would. It's not like he's turning down a champion, uh, Champions League team like you and I, or he's leaving a Champions League team like you and I am going to be. Well, there's always another possibility that, you know, I don't hope comes to fruition, but Rafa Benitez gets appointed as you know, Newcastle manager. And guess who gets appointed as Everton manager, man? <sighs> Anyhow. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> that that, that is Eddie Howe's dream job. <laughs> that is the job <laughs> he's wanted all this time. Man has uh, idolized uh, David Moyes since he was a young boy. And he, he wants to emulate the Mr. Moyes. You know he grew up an Everton fan, right? Eddie Howe. Did he? Yeah, he's a boyhood Everton fan. That's why he wanted the job. Oh, well. So, I guess he did idolize Dave Moyes. Uh, he, he's he's a little older than that. <laughs> he wasn't watching <laughs> David Moyes' manage when he was a boy. He would be my age if that was true. <laughs> <laughs> alright, alright. Okay, okay. He's watching Duncan Ferguson banging the goals or something, alright? I don't know. A little, a little bit later. Ah, you know, okay. like back back in the '80s when Everton were actually really good. Ah, okay, makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. Well, I guess on that uh, interesting note, um, is there anything else, my friend? There's not. All right. Um, so once again, three managers for three, or rather, three teams have three new managers. I was going to say three managers for three new teams, and I was like, no, that, that doesn't make sense. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> three new teams have three new managers, well, more or less. Um, or they're in the process of getting their new manager. Excellent. And it appears that this guy will be their new manager. If he it's a, isn't, it's a nice, or... sort of, it's a nice sport of, sort of spectrum. Like, we have Antonio Conte, who's already got the job. We have Xavi, who literally just got announced as the job, like, 20 minutes ago. And, and we Eddie have Eddie Howe, who's basically assumed to be getting the job. 
and I guess you know that sort of sums up our episode on managers and you know recent transitions. Stay tuned for next episode where we will discuss more things about football. You know, who knows? We might have a guest again. We might not have a guest. It all depends on um, who is willing to appear on our show. <laughs> right <laughs> we like now, to keep y'all on your toes. That's right. <laughs> all right. I guess on that note, right? This has been Vikram. This has been Jack. And this has been a Soccer Kaki's podcast team. Stay tuned next week. See you guys. Stay safe and tune into other episodes or visit our site to read more articles. All right. We have a few interesting ones on the way. See you guys. Bye, y'all.